This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. It was 10 years ago, roughly this time, where my wife Christina and I received a phone call from the school where our son Donovan was attending. No, he was not in trouble, but it was a concerning word, a word from his teacher and a senior administrator that something didn't seem quite right. It was a developmental issue, Donovan not quite following the same arc as a number of the other kids in the class, and it was becoming more and more clear the farther he went. So ensued then a process of meeting with some experts and getting some diagnosis, and then another meeting a few weeks later where we heard the word for the first time, autism. We didn't really know. We had only uh, this one child, our son, and it was only once he got into the classroom environment that some things that for us had been a challenge for a long time finally got a name, autism. I also then recall a conversation with Donovan about two years later. It was a sunny day, and we were out back at our patio, and Christina and I were now trying to find a way to explain to Donovan why he was going to be leaving the private Christian school where he had been up to that point and moving into the public school district. You see, there were more special needs aids and programs for him there. And so how to explain it to him, because we never used before the A word around Donovan. We hit on this idea that we would share with him and ask him about some of the things that were challenges for him. You know, Donovan, how like sometimes it's hard to look people in the eyes, how you have sometimes some tough issues with emotional reactions and your fingers, you're kind of stimulating them and on down the line, the series of issues that were challenges for him, things that were difficult. And he said, yeah. Yeah, I know. And I said, and do you also know that you do have some kind of special gifts, actually, some special things you can do? And I need to tell you here just two brief stories because, hey, when your son gives you the authorization to preach about him in your sermon, you better have some really good stories to tell too, right? <laughs> Let me tell you quickly two of them. One of them was in Donovan was about three and my parents had just come to town to visit, and he held up his big Thomas the Tank Engine book, and he said, Grammy and Grampy, let me read you this book. Donovan did not know how to read. So both Christina and I and my parents were perplexed. Read? How is he going to do that? Let alone the fact that I don't know what's the deal in British children's books, but the Thomas book had like big full page glossy color pictures from the, the TV show and then block text of like two to three hundred words per page. And as my literary critic wife likes to point out, it was the most illyrical, unpoetic, unmemorable words you've ever seen in a children's book. But Donovan proceeded to read every page perfectly from beginning to end. And it was like a 25-page book. 
He never got it wrong, where the text ended on one page, started on another, and then strangely, he had this kind of inflection that sounded kind of like me or Christina reading the book to him. In short, we discovered in Donovan's diagnostic process that he had a near-photographic auditory memory. His second gift came out around that same time, or it was really just the way that kind of autistic people can get a hyper-focus. I was, as we were wont to do in those days, buying a Pal Joey's pizza at Wheaton Bowl. May it rest in peace. And we, I went back to get that pizza, but Donovan came in with me, and he kind of stayed out by the lanes, and he was transfixed by the league bowlers out there on the lanes. When I came back with the pizza, he said to me with a steely-eyed determination I will never forget and has never subsided, Dad, I want to do this. And do this he has for the last, better now, a dozen years and has seen him now become one of the top youth bowlers in the nation. Yeah, you can applaud him. That's all right. So we stressed both the challenges and difficulties, as well as the gifts and unusual abilities that came with Donovan's quote-unquote disability. It was a package deal, and we gave them a name, autism. And so began a new phase of his journey, as well as ours as a family. Now let me quickly point out not every disabled person has certain recognizable gifts that are valued and useful to society, like those savant-type abilities that some, though not all, people on the autism spectrum possess. No, for many, the challenges of their disability can be overwhelming, so overwhelming that they might overshadow any gifts that they have. But in the biblical way of seeing things, each one of these persons, whether recognizably gifted or not, is an amazing gift. Amen? They and their lives are priceless, invaluable, and an indispensable gift to the body of Christ. They are created by God after his own image, even if that image is refracted now through the lens of disability, and are to be cherished intrinsically and for who they are within the body of Christ. This beautiful reality is powerfully portrayed by the Apostle Paul in the words of our epistle reading this morning from 1 Corinthians 12. And there are three key elements to it that I want us to focus on this morning. First, and you can see this in sort of the opening verses, verses 12 and 13, as well as the closing verse, verse 27. The Holy Spirit is the source of life-giving unity within this body, a body, yes, that is characterized by both the abled and disabled and all sorts of other differences that characterize the body of Christ. Second, this is in verses 14 through 20, and if you have the Pew Bible, you can see it's sort of the second major paragraph there. The Spirit, though, is what unites us in and through our various differences. And third, verses 21 through 26, 
The Spirit then forms Christ in us through suffering together and caring for one another in the body. Let's take a look at each one of these. The Spirit is the source of life-giving unity in a diverse body. Let me read these opening words for you. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we might add abled or disabled. And all of us were made to drink of one spirit. In the original context of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul was talking about certain divisions within the body at Corinth, primarily ethnic and socioeconomic. They were straining the unity of the Corinthian church, the rich not remaining in true communion with the poor, Jews not uniting with Greeks, slaves and free not getting along, and so on. This is so typical, is it not? It is natural, but our nature is fallen. So too is it natural to unite around our commonalities. How do we humans normally do unity? It goes something like this. We coalesce around our commonalities, around other people who look, act, and feel like us, be they racially, ethnically, in terms of our economic class, or maybe even physical, emotional, and mental abilities like our own. When people look like us, talk like us, act like us, we can figure out a common ground or code. We form, if you will, a tribe. And whether we mean to or not, we often then exclude or marginalize those who are different from our tribe. But what was countercultural about Christianity in Paul's day, and what eventually helped to turn the Roman Empire upside down, was the way that these divisions were lived out differently transformatively within the body of Christ. And Paul's contention here is that can only be the work of the Holy Spirit. The unity of the body of Christ, despite these natural differences, is a unity affected by our common baptism, a unity whose source can only be the Holy Spirit. As Paul puts it in another epistle in Ephesians 4, in these unforgettable words, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, when the spirit moves within the body, when the Holy Spirit sends the blood of Jesus Christ coursing through the veins of his body, the church, then it looks something like a picture I want our AV people to project right now. There it is. <laughs> this is a picture from Easter Sunday. Yeah, you can clap. It's a great picture. This is Easter Sunday, 2019. And for those of us who are a part of Rez's special needs ministry has become something of a poster for our work together as a community. You see, there is wonderful Seth Boehm in his plaid flannel shirt. There is Donovan, my son, and there's Bishop Stewart. 
And somehow, of course, this had to be a Holy Spirit moment because somehow the photographer caught them all airborne at the same time, right? That can't happen without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) What the picture doesn't really show is just sort of off to the side here were two dads, namely Thomas Boehm and me, sitting there trying to reel our sons back in from this moment. You see, I, and I eventually went and sat back down here in the, the chancel and kind of tail between my legs, and I realized this exuberance, this joy, right? We just uh, uttered the Easter acclamation, Alleluia, the Lord is risen! Amen! And we ought to be jumping up and down, right? There are some members of our community who got this more than us typical normal people did. And I think it's a rich feature of our Anglican tradition too. We tend as a church and in our churches more generally to be more vertically integrated, more family oriented. Kids are more free to roam. We allow the various parts of the body to be themselves, to function as they ought according to their rule. I even had one new family who came to Res who told me explicitly that it was our welcoming of special needs children into worship that was a draw to this church. But let's not boast in ourselves here. Paul here insists, folks, this is the Holy Spirit. Are we open to his work to allow the Spirit to weave together, abled and disabled, all of our uniquenesses and gifts together in that beautiful image. The Holy Spirit wants us all to get airborne, folks. Are we going to let him do it? Point number two. The Spirit is then the agent who unites us in and through our differences. Verses 14 through 20 here, I'll read you a couple of them. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. These are frankly comforting words, <laughs> words parents with special needs children can relate to. <laughs> we can often look at the challenges our children face and feel like that hand who looks at the foot and wonders, hey, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Or our kids can feel like an ear that's not an eye and wondering whether they fit because they're not an eye but an ear. Persons with disabilities are often known for, readily recognized for what they lack. And as parents or caregivers, it can be very easy to focus on these areas of deficiency. Their needs can be an uncomfortable living reminder of not fitting the mold. And we sometimes as parents wonder, why, Lord, why my child? Why is she, in effect, a deformed hand or a blind eye in the body of Christ? But sometimes the gifts of disabled people are quite real, like Seth Bowen's glorious abandon in worship. 
or Zoe Postma's unfailingly kind and sweet spirit to everyone whom she meets, or Donovan's own ability to relate to other special needs kids younger than himself, and what back before COVID hit made him an outstanding buddy to two little boys, one with Down syndrome and one with autism in our buddy program. Make no mistake, these gifts to the body are real, even through and perhaps with and because of their disability. They are hands and feet, eyes and ears that this body needs, all contributing in beautiful and effective ways to the health and the full functioning of the body. But the gift of the disabled, I believe, goes beyond these useful or special roles they might exercise in the body. They often highlight for us also uncomfortable realities we'd rather not face. Quick show of hands here, parents. How many of you have been out in public and had your kid melt down? Okay, if there are any parents who don't have their hands up, you're liars, okay? <laughs> it's happened to everybody, okay? So you see, this is not unique to parents with disabilities, but let's just say special needs parents often experience this reality far more frequently in a far more extreme manner or for far longer in the course of their children's life than the so-called typical child. Disabled people can make us feel uncomfortable the autistic person not looking us in the eye, sometimes physical deformities inviting people to stare. Dis disabled people often transgress our social norms, do uncomfortable things, so much so that there's a powerful desire in our culture to do away with them. I was reminded of this recently when a major national publication did a lengthy expose on how in many Scandinavian culture, uh, countries, these days, many disabilities are increasingly non-existent. Why? Because those with those disabilities, when detected in the womb, are being aborted at an epic rate. One example in the country of Denmark, one year it's estimated that 98% of Down syndrome fetuses were aborted. In a country of some 10 million, only four were born that year. Disability, disability can make us feel like we don't know what to do with it. It gets in the way of what we want to do. It's not the plan we had. But here is where Scripture speaks so powerfully. In this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, there's a key phrase. We often assess the value and importance of people according to their utility, how they maximize the good in our society. But Paul stresses here that each belongs to the body as God chose. Verse 24, but God has so composed the body, I'm sorry, wrong verse, <laughs> but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Do you catch that? He turns on his head here our assumption that just because someone with their particular gifts and abilities don't quite fit 
it doesn't really matter in the body of Christ because we have a different sense of priority. It's God's choice to have given us the gift of this person in this community, in this family. It's according to God's plan and design that he equips us, actually, with disabled people. In this way, I believe disabled people are living icons of God's grace in a broken and fallen world. We see their needs, their challenges, and difficulties more poignantly. And as a result, we are invited by the Holy Spirit to enter into their suffering more deeply. And that in itself, my friends, is a gift. That brings me to Paul's third point in that final paragraph of our passage. The Spirit forms Christ in us through suffering together and for caring for one another. The body as an integral whole needs the various parts. Each part, Paul insists here, is indispensable. We need not only the glorious gifts and wonderful mystery that the disabled bring, but Paul also underscores something here really countercultural. We need one another to join together with those parts of the body that are weak, suffering, perhaps disabled. You see, the body doesn't exist just as a showcase for the great and neat experience or talents of the superlative. The body of Christ has a different purpose. For we, as the body of Christ, are, our identity is to join with Christ in his sufferings, to walk with him to his cross so that we will experience his resurrection. Amen? And so it's not onward and upward from one triumph to the next, but it is down into the nitty-gritty of the body broken, the very body of Christ that was broken for us. Paul's point here is that we all need one another. Why? Because we all need to learn better what it is to, su to share in suffering and through that to have true honor. You see, we often in our culture think that true honor comes from spectacular achievements right, in business, leadership, sports. I was celebrating last week the spectacular achievement of the Green Bay Packers getting bounced from the playoffs. And that's awesome. It's great. I'm still celebrating it. But here was Paul's principle of ministry. It wasn't onward and upward, great superlative power. Rewind the clock just a little bit in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 2, Paul encapsulates his ministry to the Corinthian church with this unforgettable paragraph. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, 
so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. To know Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that's not just Paul's ministry. That's not just for super apostles like Paul. (laughs) That's the purpose of the whole body united here. And when Paul says this and teaches this in chapter 12, mind you, he's warming up for chapter 13. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter? Why do you think he's doing that? He's talking there about the self-sacrificial love that ought to inhabit at its deepest core and marrow the body of Christ. Make no mistake, this is one of the deepest, most glorious mysteries of our faith. Christ himself was a body broken. His suffering was intrinsic to his honor and his glory. Our glory is not in radiating spectacular gifts and accomplishments of our own. No, ours is in joining with the Lord Jesus in the suffering of his body. Disfigured, abused, broken, suffering in shame and ignominious death. But that was his glory. When we join in the sufferings of others, like our disabled brothers and sisters in Christ, that is true glory. One final story of this in closing. Donovan's godmother, her name was Shelley, tragically a number of years ago passed away from Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And it first started, like, Shelley had a fall. No, it's nothing. And then she was having a hard time walking, and she had a cane. And eventually it was a wheelchair. And before long, the diagnosis was unavoidable that she like her father, had chronic and extremely progressive advancing Lou Gehrig's disease, which eventually shut down all of her extremities and literally squeezed the breath and life out of Shelley. But that for us was the most powerful experience I've ever had of the body of Christ truly being the body. At that time, we happened to be at our uh, sister church, at Church of the Savior. And for literally months, the church surrounded Shelley and cared for her, hand and foot. Women would come each day to bathe and clothe Shelley, to feed her. It was around-the-clock care. Sure, the church could have raised on a GoFundMe enough funds to put her in her care home, But the body became the body in the moment that they joined in the care for Shelley Allen. I think that's what Paul means here, that we're to share in one another's suffering because you know what? We will actually share in the glory of the resurrection. I myself have never been so proud, and I never experienced the power of the body of Christ quite as poignantly as I did during that heartbreaking episode. Because when the body was truly the body, and I cannot tell you how much richer my life has been, it wasn't my original plan to be a father 
of a special needs child or for my ministry here at Resurrection to take a turn into special needs ministry, that was not on my agenda. But I got to care for Donovan. I got to care for some of our kids to walk with these families. And the Lord has showed me in and through disability what it really is to love like Jesus. Do you want that? I know I need and want more of that myself. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.